Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never been heard before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about. So you can create the life that you really want, but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And today I have a very special guest. I literally just finished reading her book and I am blown away. I'm so excited for you to meet her and to hear her story and for you to buy her book. But we'll get into that in a few seconds. Welcome, Keisha. What Keisha? But Keisha Stewart. Hi, Hillary. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Keisha just. I just finished her book. It's called Sonata for a Damaged Heart. And I recommend it to anyone who's a woman and anyone who knows a woman. <laughs> Everybody should read this book. So it really blew me away. So anyway, we so we can we can get into it. You know, it starts at a certain point. Um let, let's just give you a little background for for here. I'll I'll tell them what I know. So Keisha was born in New York. And when she was 24 or 25, moved to Florida with her first husband and had her oldest son. Um, and then she met Mike, right, in Florida. Um, and what I else? Got divorced first. Was what? <laughs> I got divorced just, first. <laughs> I got divorced first. Yes, 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 she did. So, but what else, anything you want to say before we get to that, uh, you know, life-changing day when you were 31? Just anything that you want to give the audience's background before we get into that moment? Um, really, I was just living life and, you know, working as a nursing assistant. I was still very active and I had a normal pregnancy. <laughs> So with, with your second son, you had a normal pregnancy. Um, and now you were, just to get people the feel, you were healthy, you were an athlete, you healthy. ate healthy, there was nothing right. you were doing wrong. Nothing I was doing wrong. My parents always made sure that we were active, always made sure that we tried to choose the healthier options. We never had soda, candy, sugar in the house or anything like that. So relatively speaking, yeah, I was healthy, no family history of any heart-related issues at that time. Wow. Okay. So picture that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So she's 31, just had her baby two weeks ago. She's at a party. And tell us what, what the symptoms were so that people could recognize them if they have them. Okay, so men and women have very different symptoms. Men have the typical chest pain, numbing down the arm, you know, those big telltale signs. However, with women, it could be very subtle. So that particular day, I felt extremely fatigued, but I just had a baby. <laughs> I had a newborn at home that I was feeding. So that's not necessarily out of the realm of possibility. Um, throughout the day, 
I felt a little bit dizzy, a little bit more fatigued, um, but I was going out. It was my first time in months being able to just get out. <laughs> and once I got to the party, um, I felt a little bit nauseous, but I just figured, you know, your body is working so hard to produce milk, to take care of a newborn. And I still had my five-year-old too. As the evening progressed, um, I started feeling dizzy, disoriented. When I was having conversations, I couldn't really focus on what was being said and vision was a little bit blurry. I thought, man, I don't know what's happening because all of a sudden I felt so hot. I went to the bathroom, splashed some water on my face, came back to have conversation. And that's when I felt this sharp pain in my chest. After the sharp pain happened, I felt that numbing sensation down my left arm, pain radiated up through the back of my neck into my jaw. Um, I knew something was wrong, but I was 31. I never had any issues, health related issues besides having indoor outdoor allergies. Um, mm -hmm. So it never clicked to me that whatever was happening was a heart attack. I, I was vomiting. It was difficult for me to breathe. My chest really felt like it was just in a vice and just being crushed. Uh, at that particular moment, I looked at my husband, I said, we have to go, you know, I'm not feeling well, something isn't right. And of course he said, oh, are you sure you didn't have too much wine? <laughs> and I said, no, I only had half a glass. Like, I, I know <laughs> what it feels like to be drunk and half a glass isn't, you know, it. <laughs> so yeah. he's like, okay, all right. If you're, if you're really feeling that bad, I'll take you to the emergency room. Now, did you, did you have the sensation yet that something was seriously wrong or you I were still kind of like, I knew immediately once I had that sharp pain, in the chest, I had never felt anything like that before. Okay. And being an athlete, I've had many injuries <laughs> and things yeah. that have happened to my body um, over the course of my lifetime. But um, because I knew my body and I was comfortable with the things that happened within my body, I just knew deep down that something was terribly wrong. Didn't know what it was, never suspected right. it would have been a heart attack. And, you know, with women, we have a tendency to kind of dismiss certain things like being tired or having a little bit body aches and pains. Um, so we have to be very, very careful. And I'm not saying every single ache and pain is necessarily a heart attack, but it's good to make sure that you're getting your yearly exams and getting checked out. So that way, if something is wrong, you know, you can save yourself. Wait, but could they, let's say you had gone to the doctor, would they have known that something, I mean, is that anything that you, so anyway, all right, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, all right, you get to the hospital, they, they just kind of poo-poo it. Some nurse says she's, and you stood up for yourself because you said, no, something's wrong. You're in, you know, you're a nurse, but that woman who said she's having a heart attack, that's when they finally took it seriously. Yes. So thank God for her, right? Not for but, her. you know, 
thank God. I mean, I guess that was the miracle that she said that. And that's when they got serious and saved your life. Right. Right. You could have, you could have yeah. died. Right? Essentially. Yeah. I could have died. If I would have listened to the receptionist in the beginning, which many people do, they assume that, Oh, if the receptionist says it might be anxiety or panic attack, right. I'll listen to her and I'll leave. If I would have done that, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have woken up the next day because, because my artery tore and it was completely wow. occluded, which means it was just completely closed. Blood could not flow to that area of my heart. And that's what caused my heart attack. And I had that Widowmaker heart attack where, you know, only one in four survive. So I was very, very fortunate. And so, as far so as being able to detect you, you know, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to be able to go through because when they did the EKG initially, they said, oh, it's inconclusive. We don't know what's going on. And there are certain types of heart attacks in which an EKG will not necessarily tell you that there's something wrong. You have to kind of take everything um, that the individual is telling you is happening in order for you to assess them properly and make that assumption. And then there's certain no. protocol, but. So, but the tear, so the, the, your artery tore, yes. that's what caused this whole thing. And yes. like I was just telling you, I have a friend who had a heart attack, you know, out of the blue. And she said it was also what they call SCAD, S-C-A-D, which I'm sure you'll tell us about. They said it was because she sneezed. So this, and, and, you know, I was thinking about it when I was reading your book, like we don't want to make people totally paranoid and fearful. We just want to educate them that this can happen. She had no, I don't think she had any history of heart. I, I don't know. I'd have to ask her, but it, you know, they said it was the tear. So do they ever know what caused the tear that caused the heart attack? So they suspect a lot of, so SCAD is spontaneous coronary artery dissection. So in layman's term, it just means that you have a tear in an artery in your heart. Um, okay. It could be located anywhere. Majority of patients that I've come across, they've had it in their um, lower anterior descending artery. So that's a major artery in your heart that, you know, blood travels through. And there's different degrees of tears. Some people can have a slight tear in which just resting and maybe being put on medication can help it heal. Others have a more severe tear like mine in which the, the way that it was explained to me, the hormones because of my pregnancy affected the lining of my arteries and weakened the lining. And that's what caused, so basically you have your artery here and then the lining kind of tore. So any blood couldn't get through down to my heart. Um, so the, so, so the hormones for weakened, me, yeah. So it weakened the, whatever, the inner lining of your, the tissue, basically the lining in your so side. And it just tears cause it's thin or something, or you moved or you, so who knows? Wow. Right. Exactly. It's one of those, um, like you said, your friend said she sneezed and that could have caused the tear. Um, there's people who have had a scad after a hard workout. Like you just don't know what it is. Some people who have had it, you know, because they were bearing down 
and put that much pressure um, and that could have caused the tear. The problem is you don't know when, you don't know if you're one of the ones who will go through it. So for me, I like to tell people, why not put yourself in the best possible situation so that if it does happen, you know yourself well enough to know that something bad is happening. Or if it does happen, you're ready, healthy enough to hopefully survive and make it through. But yeah, I don't want to scare people. And you just want to know, like my, like my friend, I was telling you, she was explaining it to her MD who had never heard of it. So I think, you know, the awareness that it could happen, um, you know, but it's not something, and tell me if I'm wrong, but after reading your book, it wasn't because you were unhealthy. It wasn't because you were a smoker. It wasn't because of anything you were doing. It was just this freak thing that tore, that put a tear in the lining. Is that where? Yeah. Right, on the artery. So, so if somebody is having that those kind of symptoms and they feel, I think the sharp pain is probably, that's something that you've never experienced from anything else, right. that would be an indicator. And now they know, hey, this could be SCAD, check me. Instead right. of saying, well, your EKG's fine, so go home. No, right. that's when people die, right? And so- I think, yeah, and I think typically with women, you know, people think that we're dramatic and they want to dismiss us and they want to just say, oh, she's just overreacting and that's not fair and it's not right. It's a complete bias. Um, if someone, goes to the emergency room complaining of certain things, they need to be fully checked out. I mean, who cares? <laughs> I mean, what's it to anyone else just to check a patient out, just to make sure that they are okay? Because I'd rather waste your time and be alive than not go to the hospital and be dead <laughs> because right. of some stupid assumption that you know someone else has. Right. That word dramatic. I, I remember my father who has since passed, but he, you know, one day he said he was having chest pains and he was like, he was sitting at home and, you know, you, you kind of like, you don't want to be a bother. Or is it in your mind? Whatever. And then he goes, okay, I'm not going to be stupid. And he took himself to the emergency room and they checked him out and he was fine. But, and that wasn't the exact word he used, but I'm not going to say what he actually said. But, but, you know, so he went and I remember thinking, you know, sometimes you think, oh, is it in my head? Is it this? But I think the pain and your symptoms were so severe that you knew this is not in my head, right? right. That's right. how you knew. I'm not imagining this. And it must have been the pressure too. Yes. The pressure. Yeah, the combination of all of it. I, and yeah. I had had a baby before and every pregnancy is different, but I knew what it felt like afterwards. And like right. I said, I had been an athlete. I've been in many different types of situations. Um, I've had many injuries and it's, it was just a different sense um, that my body was giving me. So, and the body is an amazing machine. It gives you all these different clues as to something might be wrong. You just have to listen. Right. Okay. So the so the the one lesson is the symptoms. You got to advocate for yourself, especially if you're female, and especially I think you were saying in the book if you're a black or Hispanic woman. They especially, what, don't take you seriously? They, like, what? why would they not listen to you guys more than? So even when I went back to nursing school afterwards, you know, they teach you that there are these certain biases um, for cultures. They say that, 
you know, especially black and Hispanic women have a tendency to be a little more loud, a little more dramatic, or that we are able to deal with pain better, which isn't true. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, but it's just a bias. It's just, just a like, bias. It's just an assumption, like, stereotype. And, you know, stereotypes are just that. They're stereotypes. They don't apply to everyone. You know, they're generalizations. Um, so essentially you go through, and I think many people throughout their lives, they overhear certain things and they just assume that it's right. And unfortunately for minority women, even those of Asian descent, um, they're looked as being, you know, quiet and timid. So maybe they're not going to speak up. Yes, that might be true for some, but it's not true for all, you know? Right. You have to be able to speak up and you have to, I want to be able to change the views of those in the medical field to stop saying, oh, because this woman is black or she might just be a, that loud black woman. Like I'm, I'm not a loud black woman. I'm a black woman. I can, right. I can get loud, <laughs> but I am not the loud black woman. Right. Um, and we have to just stop doing things like that. Just stop assuming. Um, so, so speaking up for yourself is another lesson we want to leave people with. Definitely. Even if you think, oh, I'm shy or I don't want them to think I'm a pain, right. it's your life. And you, you need to, it's almost like a barrier. You need to break through that barrier to right. save your life. I know. Advocate for yourself or yeah. to have somebody that's with you who's going to speak for you if you know you're not going to. Bring someone and tell them, do something, you know, right, exactly. so that they pay attention. Because exactly. I've sat in emergency rooms where they don't even look at you, but you can't, if, if you're having one of these, you can't afford that. No, you can't. And I remember when I was doing uh, speeches during uh, the Go Red for Women uh, 2022, I would say, you know, if they want to call women dramatic, then show them what dramatic is. Be, be dramatic because no one, no one is going to fight harder for your life than you. You right. know your body and you have to know your body so that you can be able to be confident in your voice and make your voice heard. Yes. Okay. So good. Be dramatic. I love that. That's going to be my <laughs> new motto. Be dramatic. Except it's like, you. I don't want to be high maintenance. Like, I don't want someone to think I'm a pain in the neck. Right. But this is the time to blow through those right. those concerns because your life's at stake. Right. You I know, mean, be a pain. Assume assume it, it. So that's what I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. Good. All right. Good. All right. So now we've gotten you through that day. And this is where, you know, so you, I know it changed your life. Yes. You felt different about yourself. You felt different about your life. Now, my, so one of my books, which is too far out of reach, I can't get, but it's called Real Talk. And it's called, and, and it's because um, my first book is a memoir and it's called The Second Piece of French Toast. And it's about, you know, the subtitle is, um, uh, if marriage, I forget what it is, but something like, if marriage was my dream, why was I numbing myself? Ah. So I, it sounds like you, you, you know, you get to it later, but your feelings somehow you were hiding your feelings. You were going more into yourself. You were separating yourself from your husband. 
And we're not taught to speak up. We're not talk, taught to allow our emotions. We're not taught to even think they're okay. Now, I've done a lot of work since that book because I was numbing myself. And, you know, once I started dealing with my own life, that I was unhappy, that my marriage wasn't working, um, I was like, oh, I have emotions. Like, oh, I think I'm unhappy. Like, oh, wow. And, and I really hadn't allowed myself to feel them before because I was always taught you're too sensitive. Don't, you know, don't be upset, whatever. So I, so I learned how to be fine. I was fine. Hey, I'm fine. I was strong like you, you know, I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. Don't bother me. Blah, blah, blah. I got this. But inside, that's not how we are, obviously. And what would you say, you know, like, I think a lot of us are that way. We're not taught we're not, you know, it's like, be happy, right? That's what we're talking, be happy. And anything other than happy, we shove down. Right. I mean, one of the things, which I know we're not there yet, but when the woman said, you hid your feelings in your closet. And I know that was a lot later, you know, but what would you say to people who aren't used to, experiencing that or they're separating themselves because they've gone through something like that. What, what, and I'll shut, I'll finally shut up so you can speak. <laughs> <laughs> Once I'm on a roll, it's hard for me to stop. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. I'll mute myself. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, to be honest, it took me a long time to process. And the one thing I will tell anybody is you're not a burden. I think as women, we think that, oh, if we open up and we tell people how we feel, we're going to be burdening other people. That's a fallacy. We're not a burden. We have feelings and we are just causing more harm than good when we keep things inside. You have to let them out. Stress eats away at your soul, at your heart. Um, it's not good for the body at all. So when you're able to express yourself, when you're able to speak up, you know, all those things help, especially in the healing process. The more you keep in, you'll just deteriorate. You're going to deteriorate mentally, physically, all of it, mind, body, all of it is connected. So your mental health is extremely important for your health journey. Um, so, so Keisha, how, I know you were, you know, you were, keeping it all in, you were separating yourself from your husband. What was the thing that had you finally open up? Or was it until that woman said you were hiding your feelings in the closet? But I think you had times before that when you did open up and you got closer again, or was it not? Like, yeah, because that's really not... hard for someone who's never done it, right? right. I mean, you don't even know you're not doing it. Right. So way healing, it is. healing isn't linear. You have ups and downs, you go through it, you take you know, two steps forward, three steps back. But for me, I had to recognize the fact that I did survive. And there are many people before me who did not. And it would be a travesty for me to waste the second chance that I got that they didn't get. So essentially, I had to keep that in my mind to allow myself to push forward. And it wasn't easy. And like I said, you know, I still had downs. I had ups, I had downs. I had, you know, east, west, north, south, whatever you want to say. Um, and still, I try to push myself still, you know, 12, almost 13 years later. 
but I have to do it. I had a second chance. I have to live that second chance. And, and what, I know, you know, for a time you were just scared of dying and, and, you know, you didn't feel comfortable and it wasn't your life. What was the thing that, that had you see that? My children. Instead of what? Your children? My children. Okay. Being able to be there completely for them. Because I was there. Physically, I was there. Mentally, I was not. And that's not fair to them. If I wasn't going to be there mentally, then I, I don't want to say I should have just died. But what's the point of surviving if I'm a shell? You know, mm. if I'm not able to give them the love, support, uh, the attention that they truly deserve and need. And to my husband, you know, I, I don't want to say I would have been a waste of space because no person is an actual waste of space. Right. But in that moment, you know, you start thinking things like that and you have to say, I'm not, I have people who do need me and I need them too. Now, when your husband would say, um, you know, I want the old Keisha back. Did that, like, if that was me, I think it would have sent me further into the dark side. Like, yeah. why not? like yeah. did that not, I mean, how did you react to that? Well, it killed me because I knew the old Keisha wasn't coming back. I knew that I had to rediscover a new normal for myself. Mm. So it, it hurt. And of course he didn't say it trying to hurt me. You know, he just right. missed what we had prior to the heart attack. Um, so that caused me to do a lot of internal um, navigation of self. I slipped further <laughs> because I recognized that, you know, the old Keisha isn't here. And then I had to see, okay, well, if I have to get used to a new normal, what is my new normal? What, what defines me? What can I do to kind of bring together parts of the old Keisha and, and who the new Keisha is going to be? And one of the things that I did was go back to school because that accomplishment meant something to me. And it gave me a goal. Um, I was in heart failure for some time. I was able to switch cardiologists. And all of this helped my mindset because I was finally allowing myself to regain control so that I can build a better Keisha, a new Keisha. When you say heart failure, what does that mean? That your heart was damaged or? So yes, so my heart was damaged. So there's um, particular numbers. There's something called an ejection fraction. So that's the percentage that your heart is working at. And if you fall below 30%, they consider you heart failure. And there's different degrees. Um, at one point after the heart attack, I was down to you know roughly 25% of my heart functioning uh, the way that it should. The max that you could be, you know, if you're completely healthy is about 70, 70, 75 or so, you know, the average yeah. person. Um, so yeah, how do they fix that? How do they get you back? So one of the things was I changed my cardiologist 
the cardiologist <laughs> that I initially had, not the one who fixed my heart and saved right. my life, um, but a different one. He had tried to put me in a category that wasn't there for me. My case is very different. I'm not your typical heart attack patient. When I would go to his office, you know, I was surrounded by people who were grandparents or yeah. great grandparents. And I felt like an animal in a zoo. And just his mentality to my treatment, I just couldn't accept. I wanted to be a lot more optimistic. And I was mm. able to, my sister-in-law actually gave me a few cardiologists that she knew because she was, or she is still a nurse, but, um, and I found a cardiologist who actually listened. I found wow. a cardiologist who understood that I was still young and I still had a lot of life to live. Uh, he readjusted my medications. He, you know, encouraged me to find support groups. Um, and I could ask him, he was completely open and honest. If there was something that he didn't recognize about SCAD, he would, you know, educate himself. He encouraged me to go to the Mayo Clinic even to get more information. So it really does make a difference. And because of him and his treatment, um, I was able to regain that functioning. Now, my heart will never be what it was prior to the heart attack. I do have damage, but I was able to get out of that heart failure. Um, and I was able to complete my nursing program I, and I'm still here. I mean, I still have my ups and downs like COVID. I did have COVID and that did affect my heart. Uh, you know, little things here and there, you have to make sure that you're keeping up your diet, your exercise and managing your stress levels. But all of that, it was really changing cardiologists that really got me out of that heart failure. So I would say that's the next lesson is if your doctor isn't listening and he's not on your vibe or energy or not giving you hope or possibility, yeah. change. Right. You're not stuck. Some right. people feel that they're stuck. It's their doctor. Right. But it's not. And Right. And what people don't understand is medicine is a practice and there are things changing every single day. There's new advances in medical technology every day. So no one physician can know everything. And it's okay to fire your doctor and find someone else. It's okay to get a second opinion. It's your health. You're paying into it. You're paying into it with your money <laughs> and your life, essentially. Right. So, you know, if yeah. you don't if you don't make time for your health, your health will steal time from you. So it's yeah. very important to understand that we are hiring physicians to take care of us. So why not get someone that is listening to you that you can work with to build you know, a better healthcare plan for yourself. Right. That's really, it's really key. And I think, you know, some people, it's like, you know, some teachers, some teachers are really good with kids. Some are not, you know, right. some it's like they're calling and some it's not same with doctors. Some doctors, they really understand the body and they're interested in it and they want to learn. 
and others are just like, nope, this is what it, you know, they Google it, boom, boom, boom. And it's not really personalized or, you know what I'm saying? Right. Communicating. Right. Yeah. So you want to have the kind who it's their calling. They're fascinated. They're going to learn. They're going to treat your case like, like the second doctor with Keisha to really improve and not right. just zap you with some medication because they're 80 year olds take it. Right. 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 Like you yeah. have to truly take each case. Each individual is just that an individual. Yeah. So therefore in nursing school, we were taught go by the person, go by the individual. You build a care plan based on what that individual, right. who that individual is, what their needs are, maybe even culturally what their needs might be. And you base your care plan off of that. Yeah, Physicians need to do the same. And I know there are some that do, but there are still quite a few that don't. They just yeah. want to say, okay, you have this, let me put you here. Even though... Right there's other mitigating factors that affect your health too. Right. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go to our commercial break and then we're going to go back and hear some more of this amazing, amazing story. So stay tuned. Just a word from our sponsor. Has social-emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Kikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori. K-I-K-O-R-I. Do you ever feel like you can't say what you really want to say? Or that you're stuck or in a holding pattern in your relationships, career, personal life, or finances? Are there things you want in life that you've given up on? Are you resigned that this is as good as it's going to get? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Hillary Burns, host of the Getting Real with Hillary show, has the solution you need. Hillary is a published author of three books and has a program called The Getting Real Process. This process frees you from what is holding you back, allowing you to create a life you love. Don't believe it? It is hard to believe that it could work, isn't it? The proof is that hundreds of Hillary's clients have used The Getting Real Process and are now free to create whatever they want in relationships, career, finances, enjoying life, or just loving themselves more. So go to realtalkwithhillary.com and order Hillary's book, Real Talk, and set up a conversation. Welcome back to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And as always, thank you to our sponsor, KikoriApp.com. If you want to bring experiential social-emotional learning to your children, especially after COVID, go to KikoriApp.com and schedule a consultation. You will not regret it. And if you're someone who, you know, maybe doesn't feel comfortable speaking up or feels a little stuck, 
reach out to me and let's get you talking and free and creating a life you love. You can reach me at Hillary with one L at gettingrealwithhillary.com. And now for our featured guest, we have Keisha, Keisha Stewart, who has such an amazing story. I hope you're learning and I hope you're inspired by Keisha. Here she comes. Hello. <laughs> Hello again. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So I know there's more to the story. You know, you went back, you got your nursing degree, and then you were kind of like pushing yourself, right? And it almost seemed like from reading the book, um, and the book is called Sonata for a Damaged Heart, and we will tell you how to find that later. Um, it seemed like you couldn't help yourself. You know, when they needed you, they needed you. And even though you told your husband you were going to be available, um, you know, you still were. And I, I know I, I, I'm that way too. You know, it's like yeah, you're kind of in, just in this mode. You know, what would you want to say about that? And in case there are other people who are like that, how did you break it? I, you know, okay. We have as women, this superwoman complex, superwoman syndrome, where you think you can do it all. And once I started to feel better, um, I thought I could do it all. I thought I could take it all on and, you know, everything was going to be, you know, great. But I was really putting myself a disservice because I wasn't taking care of me. I was back to taking care of everyone else and being there for everyone else. But really, I needed to put myself first. Self-care isn't selfish. If you go down, the ship goes down too. So you have to remember. And essentially what was happening was I was spreading myself too thin. And I ended up feeling like I was failing as an employee, as a wife, as a mother, as a sister, as a friend, because I was being spread too thin. And my heart started um, showing signs of it as well. Uh, I was now, having... Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, I, I know. Well, given your heart and given, you know, you were supposed to be, quote unquote, taking care of yourself, how do you think you got stuck in that complex or, or were you not just, you know, I mean, I know we've all done it. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't have. I'm just trying to open it up in case other people are finding themselves in that. Cause I know I was, you know, it's always like, Oh my God, the kids would say when I'm here, all of a sudden it's not fun anymore. Cause I was like, Dude, this back here. it's just this doing machine. And I was run by something. I don't even know what you're just not aware, but like how, how, I guess we could say we, how, how do we get that way? It's just like this doing thing and we can't stop. Right. I really think it's just how we're raised. I know for myself, I'm the oldest um, and I'm female, obviously, <laughs> but I think being the oldest and being female, we are just kind of expected to take care of things. Um, I think that expectation is set at a very young age, not because of anyone's real fault. Uh, I just think that's how society has been. And now me having a daughter, you know, I try to ensure that she can take care of herself. 
first and then make sure that she takes care of other things. You know, mm -hmm. I've raised her to have a voice. I've raised her to know that her voice is worth being heard, which she's eight going on 16. So sometimes I think that's, <laughs> sometimes I think I made a mistake, but I know in the long run, I didn't. <laughs> yes, I understand. But, you know, growing up, I never had that. And I love my parents and I will never um, speak poor about how I was raised, but being a child of the eighties, things were different. You know, children were meant to be seen, not heard. You know? So, uh, so yeah, I think just how we grew up and how society was kind of pushes us into that superwoman syndrome where, okay, if you're feeling good, if, you know, your doctor says, oh, you're doing great, then you're like, okay, I'm doing great. So that means I can take care of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And really what happens is we place ourselves into positions that we shouldn't be putting ourselves in. We become people pleasers because we think that's the expectation and that's what's going to make everyone's day and everything right with the world. It's BS. <laughs> now, what was the wake up call when you went back? And I know you were, you were doing all that and taking care of everyone. And even on vacation, they were calling you. What was the wake up call that time where you said, oh, okay. My heart, like I said, if you don't make time for your health, your health was still time from you. And essentially you were feeling I it? more, I was getting more chest pain and then you just feel your body start to deteriorate from the inside. At least for me, that's what happened. And I wasn't keeping up with my exercising like I should have at the time. You know, I was making all these advancements within my nursing career, but um, everything else was kind of decreasing in my life. Mm. And it wasn't fair. And I recognized that me and my husband, we were getting into more arguments or disagreements um, because I wasn't home the way that I said that I would be. You know, the kids weren't able to rely on me the way that I wanted them to. So it, that was a real wake up call. And having my husband, you know, sometimes he's, he has no filter. <laughs> God love him. <laughs> he's able to, you know, hold that mirror up to you so that you can really look at yourself and say, oh, okay. Yeah. But I, so, I mean, it's just you know, you were driven, you know, on the nursing side to such an extent and letting, you know, your health, your family, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. I think we all do it, but it's like, it's like, what is that thing that has us that whole destroyed? Wait, sorry, woman, I think it's the whole notion that as a woman, if you have a career, that career is supposed to be, you know, at the forefront. And then at the same time, they expect you to be this family oriented woman. And it's hard to bridge the two together, to merge the two together. So I think many of us, because, you know, we're so focused or we're raised to be as focused and career oriented that that's our drive. I mean, I've always been ambitious my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. So it 
it's hard to get out from that. It's hard to kind of just say, okay, I can't be as ambitious now because I have a family and I have medical Mm -hmm. issues, you know, sometimes you think you're using your medical issues as a crutch when really it's, it's you, it's part of you. It's something that you have to deal with. Yeah. I think balance is so important, but yet it's almost like we have to go over this hump in order to allow ourselves to have a balance. Right. right? You have to go over this. Right. To like allow ourselves, men are able to do, to have a career and to, you know, deal with family in a way that, or the expectations of them are very different than the expectations for us. You know, we're supposed to be able to make it all work. And really we can't, we can't. There's always going to be some part of our life that isn't going the way as it should, whether it be being available to friends and family or being available to, you know, your coworkers, there's always going to be some sort of give and take. So you have to, like you said, find that balance. Um, But the expectations that society places upon us, it's just Right. But I think, I think that's the key is to be able to see, is it really an expectation, an expectation from without, or is it what we've internalized that we think is the expectation? You know, like I have this thing, I got to keep everyone happy. And if anyone gets upset, I go crazy. And then I'm like, wait a second, what is that? I can't. It doesn't work. I can't possibly keep the world happy. Right. And then I get to say, you know what? That's really not my job. I thought, right. you know, it was un, like you say, you know, I, I wasn't aware that's what it was. So I think awareness, like you could say, you know, oh, I have this expectation or I think people expect this of me. No, it's you, right? Yeah. It's you putting the expectation on you. And that's when we say, okay, if I made that up, then I can make up something else. Right. But I think it's first the awareness, right? Right. Because does anybody else, you know, like you said, does anybody else really care when you're the one having the heart attack? No, you do. Like, does anyone else really have expectations of us? No, I think it's ours. I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's it's ours. We're we're living in a different reality than everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And when we can be aware, like, you know, here you are working yourself literally to death. Um, and then it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> right. But it's only when you, well, it's like something wakes us up and then we have a choice instead right. of just, you know, you know, hurry up, hurry up. You know, that was me. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I'm not too much fun to be around. I didn't even like myself. I certainly, but it's like, until I was aware of it, that's just how I was. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think the awareness, um, you know, I used to have, well, in my, in my third book, I have three steps awareness. Cause until you're aware, you're not, not aware. aware. You're just doing it. Right. And then acceptance. It's like, okay, wasn't wrong. It's just the way I was. Nothing I can do about it now. And then action. Okay. Now I can take new actions. Right. You know, and I think you did that. 
So I know we've gone a long time just with the beginning, but I think it's so important for people. I know, you know, you've since become the spokesperson for the American Heart Association. Um, and then you lost your friend, which also was like a total wake up call during COVID. I mean, ugh. but I yeah. know, you know, one of the things you said was, you know, why, why did he die and why am I alive? So that kicked in some of that survivor stuff too for you. Right. Do you want to say anything about that? In case yeah, you know, survivor's guilt is a real thing. And my friend, Matt, he was just this amazing, amazing man, this amazing person who had so much to give to the world. And he, like in the book, I, I, I say, you know, he was a much better person than I was. And at least that's how I felt, yeah. you know. And, you know, you look at him and his family and it's just one of those, you know, why, why? Why did he have to go? He has, you know, this young wife and these kids and you look and at- And how did he, what made him- what, He was 37 when he passed. Oh. And what, what killed him? He had an aortic dissection. So his aorta, which is a major, major um, artery, tore and he died almost instantly. And why does that happen? Do they um, so for him, I'm not sure if he had um, any sort of family history or if there was any other health issues. He was due his month, um, his birthday was the following month and he was going to have his yearly the next month. Uh, I think his heart might've been enlarged and that might've, but it's one of those things where, especially like during COVID, not everyone was going to the doctor to get checked out because so many of us figured, okay, we don't want to go and then get right. because there's sick people at the doctor's office, you know? But is so that I, something that they could have detected? They might have been able to detect his enlarged heart. Oh. And aortic dissection is something that you can't necessarily predict, but if it was because he had, or if his enlarged heart was due to something happening, he could have been placed on medication for it, but it's one of those, you just don't. And how do, yeah. How, how do you detect an enlarged heart? Like with the doctor, is it your. So you would have to go to a cardiologist. You would have to get um, checked out. If you know, you keep an eye on your blood pressure, um, monitor. But he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have even known to have gone to one, right? That's true. That's true. So, Some, I mean, there's people today who are walking around with enlarged hearts and might not know it, or they might assume that, oh, I'm out of breath because I put on a little weight. Well, that could be because you have an enlarged heart, but there's so many other things that yeah. could <sighs> mimic. So it's real. I mean, health is very complicated and- yeah. Even in the best situation, sometimes, um, even if you do everything right, sometimes it's still not enough. Right. Fortunately. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry about your friend, but I think that you used it as a wake up call. And then you, you know, I used to, I know this is the part where I'll start crying. You know, you really saw your purpose that you could go around and volunteer and educate people to prevent it 
other people from happening. And so yeah. that's when you started feeling good about yourself again, right? Because right. That was another, yeah, there was a couple of different times, but that was definitely one of those times in which I felt, you know, he passed away and he was such an amazing person and I'm still here. I have to do something with this life. And years prior to that, I had that same notion, that same mentality. And that's why I went back to school for nursing. Um, and here it is. I had another wake up call saying, not only do you have to do something, you have to truly appreciate what is in front of you because it can be taken away tomorrow. And that's when I started to, me and my husband both, we start to say, we're not going to wait for tomorrow to come to do something. If we can do it now, we're going to do it now. And that was one of those reasons why we chose to move to Hawaii. Um, my husband always, he was born and raised in Florida, always wanted to leave. <laughs> and we vacationed there a couple of times. And I mean, we've been to so many different places and yet Maui was our happy place. Wow. Where, where you know, he smiled completely, a real genuine smile. Um, the only wow. vacation that we would ever go on in which I could truly say, wow, he's genuinely happy. <laughs> and when he first said, let's move to Hawaii, I said, you're crazy. I know this is a dream. And I know we said, if we can do something, we're going to do it. But at the time, you know, we were in Florida. All of our family is, you know, on the East Coast. What What are you talking about? Yeah. And finally, you know, we kind of decided, all right, let's purchase something and we'll come back and forth. We'll spend all of the vacations here. And then Hurricane Ian happened in and it destroyed our area. And him being a structural engineer, he was one of the first people um, allowed to go onto different properties. He had to clear it to say, okay, the structure is sound. You can come in and start wow. um, search and rescue, or you can come in and start cleaning out. When that happened- okay. we, we are almost out of time. Ooh. <laughs> I know, it, it flew. And I want you to be able to, and I, I, I want people to read your book so they hear the rest of the story because there's so much more, there's oh, so much yes. more that you went through. And it's called Sonata for a Damaged Heart by Wakisha, parentheses, Keisha Stewart. Yeah. So please get that and just spread the word about, you know, the SCAD and the heart and, you know, you'll see the percentages of heart disease. I think, you know, we were always thinking of cancer, but really heart disease is way up there. The number one killer. The number one killer. So all cancers combined, number one killer. Yeah. One. So what, what, you know, in the 30 seconds we have left, what message would you want to leave with people? What, you know, do you hope for the world? What's your five-year vision? You know, just say a couple of inspiring words to end this. Um, well, I hope everyone buys the book. But I mean, essentially, I want everyone to know you have a voice and you can say, don't dismiss us. Don't dismiss me you are in control of your life. Take it, use it, make sure you're living life to the fullest because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, essentially. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and five years from now, I hope 
I hope my book is a bestseller and I'm able to continue inspiring, educating, and advocating for those who might not be able to advocate for themselves. I want change. I want change within the medical institutions um, and I want change just in people, people in general, to take better care of themselves. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been just a wake-up call for me, a wake-up call for hopefully a lot of people. Don't forget to get us, hold it up again, Sonata. Hold it up. Yeah. Sonata for a damaged heart. Really, it will open your eyes and, uh, you know what, do it for the for the women in your life, for the men in your life, for everyone in your life. So thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you for being courageous. Thank you for taking care of yourself. And thank your husband for, <laughs> you know, being there for you. Really, really a special story. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for watching this episode. I started getting real with Hillary when I discovered that I was a people-pleasing, pleasant phony and wanted to be more of my real self. We can grow together. If you will like the show, subscribe to my channel, and share this episode with your friends and family so that we can have a world that's more real.